Greetings in the name of the triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I'm blessed to pastor the small rural congregation in which I was raised. Please join us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information about our small rural congregation, please visit SamanakBaptistChurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K BaptistChurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Um, and then 
Right now, there's four or five different ladies that somehow got my phone number just from around the community and asked, could we come in and walk in your gym? Our doctors are saying to us, we need to do more walking. Now, raise your hand if you've had a medical professional tell you the same thing. So if you'd like, I know the weather's getting nicer now, this is a little bit more of a necessity during the cold winter months, but if you'd like to come in in the afternoon on Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, or Thursdays, let me know. I'd love to make sure things are open and ready for you. Right now there's three or four different ladies here local that come in and uh, just have enjoyed getting to know them. They've actually begun to share some prayer requests with me. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to use our building to bless our community. Monday nights is a very active night. Um, so just be aware of those things and uh, take advantage of those blessings that we have together. So John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31 is the text that I want us to pay attention to. And before we look at this text, I have two things that I want to say to you. One, Thomas had doubts. Number two, Thomas is in heaven. This is good news. Amen? Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Before we look at the gospel this morning, let us pray. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer, and all of us said together, Amen. In the psalm that Audie read for us, the concluding line of that ancient poem is this, For there the Lord commanded his blessing, life forevermore. If you read those three verses of that psalm, you'll see that unity is what that poet desires for God's people. And this morning, what I want us to see from the gospel is that Jesus, the risen Christ, among the many things he holds together, we looked last week on Easter Sunday at how the risen Christ holds all things together. In this text, John chapter 20, the two things that the risen Christ wants to hold together are those who have much faith and those who have little faith. Jesus appeared in his risen state to wavering doubters. Jude, verse 22, says, Have mercy on those who doubt. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul summarizes his apostolic good news. He includes in that text that Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And then it says one more thing. You know what that one more thing is? Then he appeared. And then Paul takes three or four verses to describe the risen Christ appearing to 500 brothers and sisters, to James, then to all the apostles, then to Paul, 
one who was untimely born. The Apostle Paul believes that Jesus appearing after his resurrection is an act of grace. It's not some victory parade to where he marches around saying, look at what Rome did to me, but look at how I beat them. We sure showed them. No. Jesus comes to us in his risen state, humble and vulnerable. Chuck DeGroat on Easter Sunday wrote this. Jesus doesn't burst forth from the tombs to trumpets demanding attention. Now, wouldn't you do that? If you had risen from the dead, I'd want the media there covering it. Jesus almost goes to great lengths to not be recognized. Resurrection, DeGroat continues, doesn't need a press release. He's patient. Knowing that perhaps it's been so dark that you'll need to adjust your eyes to the light. What was the first line of the gospel reading? When it was evening on that day. Jesus knows that perhaps it's been so dark that you'll need to adjust your eyes to the light. Maybe it'll take seeing his wounds and his gentle smile. The gospel this morning tells us that he appeared with grace for us who have doubts. What doubts do you have this morning? Doubts may be where you've come to the place in your life of faith that you realize what I used to be taught maybe isn't what I believe anymore. Doubts, maybe, that have come, that have creeped into your soul because of the loss that we have experienced over the past year plus. Maybe for you that loss isn't so much related to COVID-19 or related events, but many of us within our church family have experienced significant loss. Loss often causes doubts that we have held at bay to rise to the surface. And then when we face those doubts and stop suppressing them, like, remember when you were a kid and you were swimming and you had a beach ball and you would do this thing by holding it under the water and see how long you can hold the beach ball under the water? And then you experience loss or you experience doubt, and then the energy that it used to take to hold the beach ball under the water is no longer there for you, and the beach ball comes roaring through the surface of the water. And then now the doubts and the pain and the loss splash on you, and they splash on others, and it creates chaos in your relationships. And then maybe now because of that event, you've been forced to face that, and then you're in this place. What is the baby and what is the bathwater? Are you familiar with that image? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you're at a place where maybe you're kind of getting some of your questions answered and the temptation can be, oh, maybe perhaps 
as I've thrown out the bathwater, maybe there's things that I'm throwing out that I should not throw out. So, maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone you love and you don't know how to relate to them now. In that situation, I want us to hear the good news this morning. The good news that Jesus appears with grace for us when we have doubts. Scene number one in our gospel this morning, verses 19 through 21. Jesus appears how does he appear? When it was evening on that day, that's a significant detail for John. He wants us to know that it's dark, but he also wants us to know that it's a new day. The Jews keep the time this way. The day begins at sundown. So when it was evening on that day, it's dark. It's the first day of the week. He wants us to know new beginnings are taking place. And the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them. And there were trumpets and fireworks. No. He comes to the fearful. And what does he announce? He announces, peace be with you. Have any of you ever been in a church service where the pastor began the service? Or at some point in the service said, peace be with you. Does anybody else want to respond to something? Awesome. And also with you. Now, we Baptists kind of come, all those people in their liturgy, they're just quoting the Bible. That's all they're doing. And guess what? He's going to say it two more times. So there Jesus goes, getting Catholic on us, saying things like, peace be with you. Take it up with Jesus. Verse 20. After he had said this, he showed them his hand and his side. Hands and his side. He's got more than one hand. He's got two. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So the same thing that Mary had experienced. They now experienced. Mary had come to them saying, I have seen the Lord. Verse 18. Now, they see him. This is what you say after you see the Lord. You say, I have seen the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. I lost my spot here. 21. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So Jesus appears to us in our fear. And what does he announce? He announces Peace. How does he go about announcing that peace? By showing them his wounds. Through vulnerable honesty, Jesus communicates, these are the lengths God went to go to make peace. Secondly, he also appears to announce peace so that they may be characterized by forgiveness. I am not going to explain to you what I think verse 23 means, because I'm not sure what it means. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I'm not sure how to work that out and what that means in local church ministry, but here's what I do know. Jesus seems really focused on, he wants forgiveness to be announced. 
He wants the church to be a place where people come to hear about forgiveness. So that's the first scene. Jesus appears to the fearful, and he announces peace. Now, scene 2, 24 to 28. Jesus appears to the doubting, and he's got another announcement. Let's see that announcement. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the, others, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. Time out. I have been taught to read this my entire life as, Thomas, what is wrong with you? And that is not the right way to read this text. All Thomas is doing in this text is saying, you know what you did for Mary Magdalene? You know what you did for the other disciples when I was late for the meeting? We don't know that he was late for the meeting. We don't know why he was there. Maybe he was doing work that the disciples had left behind. All he wants is for Jesus to do for him what he did for Mary and what he did for the other disciples. If you go back and read from last week what Jesus revealed to Mary, if you consider again what Jesus does for the, the disciples in verses 19 to 23, what does Jesus show the disciples? His hands and his side. Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas is saying... I want to have the same faith that Mary and the disciples have. How did they get to that place? Jesus appeared to them. Jesus showed them his hands and his side. He wants to believe. Now, if that's you, if that's someone you love, they want to believe. This text promises us that Jesus will meet and reveal himself to those who want to believe. Jesus appears to the doubting and he announces peace. But here's what's difficult. Does Jesus answer Thomas's request? Yes. Look at verse 26. A week later. It took a week. Where Thomas was in this space of, I want to believe, but I don't yet. I want to believe, but I need to know more. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, they weren't locked this time. They're slowly coming to the realization that Jesus really is alive. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And also with you. What did he say? You can say it. We won't take your Baptist card away from you. What did Jesus say? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, You should believe without having to see. Is that what Jesus says? No. Put your finger here and see my, see my hands. 
Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him the line from one of the songs that Ted led us in so well. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Which that's everyone in the house at that moment. It's not just Thomas. Mary believed after seeing. The disciples believed after seeing. Thomas believed after seeing. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. That's John's way of saying to his congregation, we haven't gotten the blessing that Mary, the disciples, and Thomas received. But yet we are people who want to believe and want to believe more, and we have yet to see him. So here's what this text announces to us. It is okay for us to have doubts. So, here's what I want to do before we then kind of think about how we can apply this text directly to us. I want to describe two babies for you. Okay? So, we're in a place, or people you love are in a place of, of, of doubt. And maybe there's some bathwater that needs to be thrown out the backyard. But, I'm desperate for us to not throw out babies with the bathwater. So here's a baby we need to hold on to. First, we believe Jesus reveals a vulnerable God. To Mary, to the disciples, and to Thomas, the way he revealed his resurrected status was by showing his wounds. He did not hide his pain. He did not hide his scars. Beloved, the resurrected Christ still had wounds. And those wounds become the means by which Jesus reveals himself to us. And he reveals to us a vulnerable God. So if you are doubting and there's bathwater that you are throwing out, things you used to believe that you're not now believing anymore, things that maybe you were taught that you're realizing... That really wasn't as true as it could have been. And you are going through the painful process of changing your mind about something. Here's something that I want to make sure we all hold on to. We believe Jesus reveals a vulnerable God. William Platcher, in a wonderful little book called Narratives of a Vulnerable God, says this. The Christian gospel does not start its understanding of God by asserting that God is all-powerful. Now, it doesn't deny that, but it doesn't start there. To read the biblical narratives is to encounter a God who is, first of all, love. Now, again, he's not denying that God is all-powerful, but here's the question he's wrestling with. What is God First of all, God is first of all love. First John 4, 8. Love involves a willingness to put oneself at risk. And God is, in fact, vulnerable in love. Vulnerable even to great suffering. So here's a baby that when we throw out water because of doubts that we need to hold on to, 
Jesus reveals a God who is vulnerable. Beloved, we forget this when we start to describe God first with a list of attributes. Ultimately, God does not want to be known by adjectives. He wants to be known as a person. And who is that person? Jesus. And how does Jesus reveal his resurrected state? He shows them this hole in his side where he was pierced and water and blood poured out for you and me. And he shows him his hands and he says, this is who I am. So as Christians, our theology starts with Christ. And when Jesus comes as the all-powerful risen Lord who can appear in somebody's house without going through the door. Pretty impressive, yes? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. What's revealing about this is not the miracle. What's revealing is the wounds. So that's the first baby. That as you're throwing out bathwater of maybe things you used to believe, that you don't believe anymore, and you've gone through that painful changing of your mind, hold on to this baby. We believe Jesus reveals a vulnerable God. Secondly, we believe God really wants to forgive. Jesus comes three times in this story and says, peace be with you, and then shows his hands and his side. That reveals to us a God who says, these are the lengths that I have gone to forgive you. Now, beloved, maybe this is just me, but I've spoken to some of you, and I realize it's not. That sometimes the image of God in our heads is a God whose arm had to be twisted by Jesus in order to forgive us. That is not the gospel. In fact, that is a false God. Romans 5 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And before it says those words, it says, God commends his own love toward us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, receiving that wound, receiving those wounds. That reveals a God who really wants to forgive. Beloved, in several weeks we're going to celebrate Pentecost. The risen and ascended Christ is going to receive from the Father, the Spirit that God wants to share with all humanity. And He's going to pour it out on 120 Christians gathered together at that first Pentecost. So the church can be born. In John 20, we have a little bit of a different Pentecost. Look at verse 22. Receive the Holy Spirit. What are we going to do with this Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that we now have? We're going to go tell people that God wants to forgive them. Beloved, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. The baby that we must hold on to is that God really wants to forgive. Very quickly, one more scene. Verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you, 
So now John connects the scene to you and me. And he says, read this story so that you may, and I love the translation, come to believe. It's a journey. Just like Mary went on a journey that started with confusion. She thought he was the gardener for heaven's sake. And just like the disciples went from fear, confusion, to belief, and went on a journey and came to believe, now we are supposed to read these stories that we may have the same journey. That we may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, through facing doubts, through coming to Jesus saying, I want to believe, that through that belief we may have Life in his name. Jesus still appears to us that we may trust that God really is vulnerable, that God really wants to forgive. Briefly, two takeaways that I think this story presents us with. One, trust that it's okay to have doubts. Trust that it's okay to have doubts. Just like I said at the beginning, I've got two words for you. Thomas had doubts, and Thomas is in heaven. Doubts will not keep you from life with God. Moreover, the Bible describes faith as being mingled with uncertainty. Listen to these well-known verses from Hebrews 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. I haven't seen the wounds in Jesus' hand. I haven't seen the hole in his side. And yet everything in me wants to believe and is coming to believe that that is true. That he is at the right hand of the Father in his risen and wounded vulnerable state. We believe things that we have not yet seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the beginning of the sermon that starts at Hebrews 11. The sermon concludes with this. After telling all these stories about Abraham, about Noah, about Daniel, about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about people that the author didn't even know their names, but were examples of faith, the author says this, yet all these, Though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. So we are now with this family of believers who are waiting to receive the promise. So do you see how the early church, the New Testament church, understood that faith is this difficult journey and struggle because it implies we have not yet seen the object of our faith. Love it. Many times I've said in probably dozens of different sermons, it is not the quality of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. I want to paraphrase that this second Sunday of Easter by saying, it's also not the quantity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. 
Jesus compared faith that can move mountains to faith that is the size of what? A mustard seed. Beloved, Jesus teaches us that it's okay to have doubts because we don't yet see, because we are not yet made perfect. It's okay to have doubts because we have not yet seen the Lord. It's okay to have doubts because faith does not equal certainty. Beloved, we will be certain one day when we see the risen Lord and we see the holes in his hands and in his side and we see that he really is alive and we are now made alive with him and we will fully have the mind of Christ but we are now in a place where we are asked to believe something that we cannot see. So beloved, if you're having doubts or if those you love are having doubts, pressure to believe and ignore your doubts is not the answer. So imagine someone you love is holding that beach ball underneath the water and you want to come and start preaching at them that don't you know that you know that you know that you know that you know and then that pressure can kind of just cause them to give up and just walk away. Beloved, is that what Jesus does with Mary, with the disciples, with Thomas? I love Look at verse 24 again. Look at the book. But Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And I'm kind of reading in there some pressure. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them, although the doors were shut. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And notice, it's just not peace with all of you except Thomas. It's peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, He knows Thomas's doubts. He knows your doubts and my doubts and the doubts of those you love. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Beloved, Jesus believes it's okay to have doubts. May we believe the same. Secondly, consider that doubts can lead to the growth of your faith. Consider that doubts can lead to the growth of your faith. Beloved, Thomas could have pretended to believe. He could have succumbed to the pressure of the community. He could have so wanted to belong that he pretended to not have doubts. And then he would have walked through life holding the beach ball under. And that's, after a while, exhausting. So he has the faith to express his doubts. John's church had doubts. They were struggling with Jesus' absence. And I think John tells this story in this way to say, identify with Thomas, express your doubts, and understand that you want to have the same experience Mary Magdalene had, that you want to have the same experience that the apostles had, that you want to have the same experience Thomas had. Facing those doubts, 
and wrestling with them is essential if our faith is to grow. Frederick Beekner says this, if you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. And then he says this, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. I love that. Like it actually gets us going. And yet I'm so afraid that so many of us believe the lie that we've got to pretend not to have them. And then we stay in our box of certainty. And then we think everybody else is believing, but but I just can't. But then here's the thing that I think you'll realize. If you start to say, I've got some questions about this, or I've got some doubts, you'll realize that might free somebody else up to say, me too. Me too. Beloved, a long time ago, um, Audie gave me this card that I hold in my wallet. And it's a card that I have to pull out way too much because I think I can understand everybody with omniscience. Like, it, like I believe the lie that I know everything that's going on in your head. And if we have some interaction, I think I know exactly what you're thinking, and I know I think you're disappointed in me, or you don't like this, or you don't like this, because I simply had some type of negative perception of a conversation. So I'm not sure what I was saying or what I was thinking when Audie gave me this card, but on one side of the card it says, this is not about me. And then you turn it over and it says this. It sounds like it's about me, and it feels like it's about me, but it is not. It certainly looks like I'm being attacked, and I am taking it personally, but this is not about me. People are far too complex, and there is way too much history for this to be about me. I take things personally because I care. I am not giving that up. But this is not about me. Now, how many of you think, where can I get that card? <laughs> <laughs> so Audie will be selling them for $19.95 after the service. Go online. You can buy them online. May I present to you this idea? If you have ever thought it was about you, and it wasn't, perhaps maybe you should have some humility in your ability to understand the mysterious, unsearchable God. How often have we misunderstood an exchange with someone we can see, and we were wrong about them? If that is true, could it be that even I am not 100% right about everything I think about God? So maybe we just need to be honest about our doubts. So I think this text calls us to identify with Thomas. Because Thomas, after he said, my Lord and my God, having faced his doubts, and after the ascension and reception of the Spirit, 
You know what Thomas ended up doing? Thomas ended up taking the gospel to Asia and being the first Christian in Asia. And every Asian-born Christian traces their faith back to doubting Thomas. So, in our tradition, we talk a lot about the sinner's prayer. I want to play for you a song now that is raw. Just as raw as the hole in Jesus' side in which Thomas placed his hand. Anybody else kind of grossed out about that image? But it's a song that helps me capture and I believe will help us capture the doubts that you and I need to have the courage to confess. Confess. 